These guys are sports lunatics. This is the Sports Lunatics Show. Welcome to another edition of the Sports Lunatics. Who are the Sports Lunatics? Well, we're just two regular guys who love sports history. I'm Sean Levine in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And I'm Howie Mooney here in Barrie, Ontario. And you are listening to the Sports Lunatics on the Fired Up Network. Well over 200 platforms. And uh, we're really happy to have you for this very special show. And you're likely wondering, why, Sean, is it so special this week? Well, I'm actually going to give uh, a hearty congratulations to my co-host, Howie Mooney, who, uh, after a lot of work, a lot of hard work, he is now one of the best-rated authors in sports literature. (laughs) On Amazon in Canada, and that, of course, Howie, congratulations. The new book is called Crazy Days and Wild Nights, a collection of incredible true stories from the pages of sports history. I know that you thought this book was going to come out more in the summer, but we uh, all had a pleasant surprise when you you contacted all of your friends and let them know that the book was actually out this week. And uh, it's been a real amazing journey for you. And uh, it's been fun just seeing the reaction of people this week to the book. So how are you feeling? I, I'm i still kind of processing it all, Sean. I, I really, like you said, I didn't expect it to come out until June or July. Uh, and um, I was hoping it would be ready for the summer for when I, I I go back to Ottawa around my mom's birthday and I was hoping it would be ready then. And so to see it out now and to see the reaction, I, I, I'm overwhelmed and I'm humbled by it all. I just, I, I'm, I'm not, I got a really nice note from my ex-wife today. Uh, She was talking about the book and uh, how, um, you know, we've been split up now for eight, 18 years, 17 and a half years, something like that now. So we're, we're, we're on good terms. And she was say, telling me how, you know, the guy that she's with and their family and everything like that, she's explaining to them how, how important this is and everything. And, and they're all going to buy it. And, and uh, she sent me a little picture and it shows she, she made note of the, the fact that the word bestseller is now at the, at the corner, at the top corner of my little listing on Amazon. And then the picture that was underneath it of another book, that's the one I want to get. How my fart followed me to hockey. <laughs> You sent me that before the show, and I'm like, wow, you've gone up in the world, uh, literally. Well, at least you could say you're number one and not number two. <laughs> at least you can say you have that claim to fame. Uh, uh, but it is so cool. You know, I, I'm on Amazon right now and, and looking, and, and uh, you know, you're the bestseller in hockey. And again, this book just came out, uh, I believe, just – you know, six days ago. Yeah, Monday on Monday. A Monday, so uh, at the time of this taping, so which is so cool to see, and uh, I am so proud of you and so happy for you. Now, I'm not taking any credit for this, but I do remember <laughs> uh, when we first uh, started. Uh, you know, the idea of the sports lunatics, and and we were just talking, and and I had not known that you were published before. 
Yeah, it's uh, 28 years ago. So tell people about that journey and, and we'll we'll sort of, uh, you know, just how you came to this point. Well, I think people in Ottawa kind of know my story. I, I uh, started out, uh, I, I did a couple of sports history calendars that sold across Canada. And then I, I kind of got pulled into um, hosting a sports trivia show on Saturday nights in Ottawa. And that was a lot of fun. And from that, I got to... Uh, I got to uh, cover the Rough Riders when they were around, and then, uh, then I, you know, I worked on sixty sevens broadcasts on uh, locally in Ottawa, and then uh, I got to be the color commentator for the uh, AAA team for the Expos, the Ottawa Lynx, and then I got to cover the Senators for four years. I, I was the guy that held the microphone in front of people's faces, you know, after games and after morning skates, and but in, in all of that. As I, as I developed a little bit of a profile in Ottawa, I was approached to write a book on the history of football in Ottawa. And I should have been more choosy in terms of my uh, parameters for that book. I was given three months to do it, and, and it's not really enough time to write a proper book on the history of a team like the Rough Riders. Uh, you can't do it in three months. You, you need time, especially I had a day job at the time too, so... I was working at doing my job during the day and then working at night on the, on this book. And so the product that came out, I look at it now and I'm, I'm a lot less than satisfied with it, uh, but it's, but it's out there. And apparently, you know, you can still find it online uh, in certain, I was told that there's a, an archive, a book archive somewhere, and you can read the whole book there, but you know, I'm not saying to do that. Don't do that, but, but it is out there. And so, yeah, the, it was called third and long, the proud history of football in Ottawa. And that came out in 1995, and and before this one, this that was the last book that I had I had uh, worked on. So, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's been a while. Uh, this is something that I've wanted to do for a while. And uh, Steve Warren uh, put out a thing a couple of years ago, 2021, January 2021, looking for writers for his website. That uh, it was called SensNationHockey.com, and it's still out there. Uh, go t- check it out. It's a great site. Uh, Steve's on there with Greg Kennedy, and uh, and they do a wonderful job. But, uh, you know, I, I remember asking Steve, you know, do you want me to send you something so you can look at my writing and see if it'll work for your website? He says, you don't need to audition for me. He says, you can you can start writing right away. So I'm grateful to Steve for giving me the opportunity. And then when Joe Pesic uh, at Fire Up Network heard that I was writing for uh, for SenseNationHockey.com, he says, I want you to come and write for me. And what what that opportunity did for me was it gave me latitude to write about more than just the senators and more than just Ottawa hockey, it, it gave me an opportunity to write about anything that I wanted really. And uh, so in addition to the, to the podcast that you and I do, I've, I've, I've been writing now for, uh, for two years on, uh, on the fired up network. And uh, it's, it's, um, you know, I don't know if you remember Sean, but when you and I started doing the podcast, I was, I, I had no clue about, about, uh, about how, how many people would be listening to the show? And I, I was, I think I said to you, I, I hope we get 25 or 30 listeners. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, you told me the numbers, I think when we, when we first started getting the numbers in and I was blown away by that. And then when, when the book came out, I said, I hope a few people buy the book. And uh, it's, uh, it's just been, uh, it's been a, it's been a long week this week with, cause I have my own day job too. And I, and I do that. And then I, you know, I'm doing promo for the book as well. And uh, when I come home at night and, 
to see the, the to see the the number of people that have reached out to me and uh, sent me pictures of their copy of the book, you know, or them holding it in their hands or or anything like that. Like I said, I, I'm overwhelmed and I'm humbled by by the reaction to the to the book. I just I'm blown away. Well, you truly deserve it. And I know that it's funny when a lot of people and I've had this too, Howie, uh, you know, you know, my story and and just my media career and, and just some of the life issues I've had to deal with and obstacles. And everybody says, my God, you need to write a book. Yeah. And, and I've had that happen numerous times over the years. And and uh, there's part of me that always goes, yeah, that would be great. But seeing what you've gone through in this process, it's not like you can write a book overnight. It, this takes this takes a lot of time, a lot of commitment, um, you know, and you've put in that time, you've put in that commitment, and now you're reaping the rewards. But it's not, you know, it's like it's like music, right? Everybody says they're an overnight success. Well, they didn't see them playing in the garage for ten years <laughs> yeah. or these CD bars or what have you. It, it but now that you've got now that you got here now that the book is out you know how rewarding has it been for you personally just to see what's been going on this week like just well, from a personal standpoint um like i said you know so many people out there sending me pictures on social media of of them holding the book or them the, the book sitting on their counter or something like that and then you know uh the other night tuesday night i think or wednesday night um, I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, kind of checking out at work and, and, uh, I get, somebody says, he points at me and says, I bought your book. I want you to sign my, sign your book. And, uh, I'm, I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'll do that. And, uh, so last night, terrible, terrible storm here in Toronto. It took me like two and a half hours to get home from work where it usually takes me about an hour and 10 minutes. And, uh, so, uh, but last night was the first opportunity that I've had to hold the book in my hands and see it and, and look at it. And I want to thank Donna Deering, who oversaw the whole production of the book, you know, everything, the, the uh, you know, putting it together, uh, putting, taking my word file, basically, and turning it into an actual book. And, and the work that she did and the work that she did with me, like in constant communication, uh, you know, letting me know about every little detail and, and, you know, getting my opinion on this and that. And, and it's, it's been, it's been a, a lot of back and forth with her and, and she's done a fantastic job putting it together. And I also want to say a special thank you to Danny Gallagher. Danny is an author uh, and you and I met him a couple of years ago, Sean, when he put out one of his books on the expos, he's written, I think more than 10 books on the expos. Now his newest, yeah. his latest book is called around the horn and you can get that on, on Amazon as well. Danny is just a wonderful guy, a generous guy with his time. He's mentored me through the whole the whole process. And uh, I mean, without him, I wouldn't be here right now. I wouldn't be sitting here with a book and you know with a book out there on Amazon uh, the, selling the way it is. Uh, he's he's been a tremendous help to me. Uh, and the funny thing too is, I go back with Danny. Neither of us really knew until until uh, a couple of years ago, but. Danny and I played baseball against each other back in 1979, 80, 81, 82 in the, in the old interprovincial league, the uh, senior league that, uh, to, you know, 
encompassed Eastern Ontario, Western Quebec, and I think maybe a little bit of Northern New York uh, back then. But he played on on a team, uh, was kind of one of our rivals. <laughs> and uh, then uh, now to, to be in this position where, where he and I are working together, collaborating and stuff, and, and it's just wonderful. Well, Danny is a wonderful, uh, wonderful author. Uh, as you said, we met him a couple of years ago and, uh, you know, our passion for the Expos and baseball growing up uh, and to uh, get to meet him, talk to him. And uh, I, I I know from uh, just how you've, uh, you know, again, along this journey, you've mentioned Danny's name many times in our conversations. And that's great that uh, he has helped you uh, along in the process to get you here. Yeah. Anytime um, I have a question for him. He's he's open and 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 willing to answer and talk anytime. Like uh, it's his, his the generosity he's given me with his time has been incredible. Wonderful. If you're just joining us, we are the Sports Lunatics. We are talking about my co-host's new book, Crazy Days and Wild Nights: A Collection of Incredible True Stories from the Pages of Sports History. And, of course, you can find this book on Amazon in paperback and Kindle, um, which, you know, in this uh, platform world we live in, Howie, uh, you know, it is cool that that uh, if you're not a big reader, uh, you can listen, uh, you know, uh, and get the whole grasp, uh, which is, again, as, as I go back to you and the effort and the hard work, you know, these are things now that authors have to do and, uh, you know, uh, is uh, part of the experience now to promote a book. But one thing that struck me right away is the cover of the book. Yeah. So uh, now, again, I'll say this to the audience. As of right now, the book's only been out for less than a week. Um, it's the number one bestseller in hockey, but it's actually... The picture on the cover is the picture on the cover is an adaptation of a photograph that I took when I, in 2016, my son Reese and I were in Chicago on a road trip uh, and we were at a game at Wrigley field. We were sitting down the right field line and I got the, I saw, I looked over at the scoreboard in center field and the sky above the, the scoreboard was just brilliantly ominous <laughs> and so i took this picture of uh the you know the field and the stands and thankfully that night that was it was a packed house and the scoreboard and the 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 kind of ugly sky above the scoreboard and i love that picture and it was one of, it's one of my favorite pictures one of the the pictures that i really love having taken the most and i submitted that for the cover and Donna came back to me and said, the picture's too low res. We can't use it for the cover. So I was talking to Greg James. Greg James is one of the hosts on CFL America Radio and the Sports History Network. And he said to me, why don't you convert that picture into an ART file, an art file, and make it look like a painting? And I suggested that to Donna. And she said, that's a great idea. So that's what we've done for the, the cover of the book. It, it kind of looks like a painting. Do, do you think it looks like a painting? I think it looks like a painting. I, I thought it was stunning. I, I thought it was incredible. At first I thought, is that Fenway when we were there in 2014? <laughs> and then I realized, no, 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 that's Wrigley. And uh, no, and, and 
but for the title of the book, that was the perfect picture. And as you describe it, it makes total sense uh, because, and we'll get into the book in a second here, but just the fact, like it was so striking. I'm like, wow, that, that is so true to that title. And I thought that was incredible. And that's a wonderful story because you had never told me that story before. So that's, that's, that I love it. That's great because uh, it's a perfect picture for, for what we're about to get into, which is sort of the, the heart and soul of the book. Uh, again, crazy days and wild nights. And this was stuff that I loved about your writing that, you know, and I had mentioned to you, I'm like, wow, you could put all these stories in a book that you were writing uh, because they weren't, you know, at the time and the place and the moment to maybe the, if you were a fan of a team that was involved in your stories, you know, people would have these flashbacks and memories, but for those that don't remember, or, you know, we always talk about our age difference, you know, there were some stories that I didn't remember or recall, you know, that, I was like, wow, this is like incredibly in depth. And you just had a great, I love your writing. I really do. And that's what I've always told about, said about you is that you have this wonderful style that you literally feel like you're in that arena or that stadium at that moment, uh, witnessing history here. So right now, you know, this is, I'm going to say to the, the, the public, this is volume one. Because I think there's going to be more. Uh, I hope there's more. Uh, and after all the success you're having, I'm I'm sure there will be. Uh, but uh, Crazy Days and Wild Nights is a collection of 19 different stories that capture the wildly random nature of sports and the games people play. So, you know, when you're thinking of a story idea uh, for this book, you know, what were you, were you thinking of your own memories, uh, games that you may have been at or are games that that sort of uh, you heard about? Like, give me some of the thought process in terms of determining what stories went into this book. Well, the one of the first stories that I wrote on uh, SensNationHockey.com was a story about a night in September of 1969 and in Ottawa growing up when I was a kid, it was like a trifecta of terrible things that happened at the civic center. And this was the first one. It was uh, back then. Okay. The NHL teams held their training camps in OHL cities. Well, the OHA cities, I guess at the time, the St. Louis blues held their training camp in Ottawa and the blues kind of became Ottawa's team for a little bit there. The Bruins held their training camp in London. And late September, I want to say September 22nd or 21st, something like that. There was an exhibition game, a preseason game in Ottawa uh, between the Blues and the Bruins. And in the book, I talk about one of the things I talk about is that preseason games may be meaningless for the fans, but they're not meaningless for the players and the people involved because, you know, you got guys changing teams. You got guys that want to impress their teammates. They want to impress their new coaches. Uh, you know, you got veterans that that are trying to show the the rookies that, Hey, you know, I'm the guy here. You're not. And you know, they're important for the, the players involved. Wayne Mackey was a guy who uh, had 
played in Chicago with his brother Chico the, the year before, but never really stuck with the uh, with the big team. And so he was with the Blues this year in 1969, and he was working hard to try to impress his teammates and his coaches and earn a spot on the on the Blues. Uh, first ten minutes of the game were uneventful, but you know he dumped a puck into the corner of the Bruins zone. Uh, Ted Green went in after it. Mackey went in hard. And back then, you could nail a guy from behind right into the glass. And he pasted Green into the glass. And Green didn't like it. And so, you know, he gave he gave uh, Mackey a shove. Uh, Mackey uh, swung back with his stick. Uh, Green st- swung back with his stick. And in a matter of seconds, it escalated into a really ugly thing where, you know, Mackey tried to hit Green in the shoulder. And the heel of his stick caught green in the side of the head and nobody knew it at the time, but he had fractured green skull and, 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 uh, green went down and nobody knew it as well, but green was partially paralyzed at that moment. Meanwhile, Bruins players are trying to get at Mackey and, and it just developed into a whole ugly thing. And that's, the, that was, that was one of the big events when I was nine years old. And so I wanted to write about that and I started delving into it and I, I started going into, you know, you know, the people. And, and uh, so I told the story about the event or the incident. And I went afterwards and, and wrote about where each of the players went in their careers. And the saddest thing about the whole thing was that you had two guys who basically uh, were marked for life, marked for the rest of their lives. Uh, you know, because of this incident and both of them ended up, you know, losing parts of their careers because of it. Uh, sadly, Wayne Mackey passed away from a, a brain tumor a couple of years later. And uh, so that's, that's, that's the kind of story that I like. I, I've, I've written, I tell people this, I've written stories about persistence and achievement and, 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 you know, working hard and, and all these things. And, and they get crickets. I wrote that story about Wayne Mackey and Ted Green. And it's, you know, half hour after it, it went online, it blew up. And I, I, and my, you know, I was at work and I, I had a chance to look at my phone, you know, about a half hour, 45 minutes after it went online and, and my phone's blowing up and I'm, and I'm thinking, what the heck's going on here? And I look in my DMS and Twitter and, you know, you have to come on my show and talk about this, this story. And I'm thinking like, holy crap, you know? Okay. I guess I know what I'm writing about now. It's going to be all these weird things, these kinds of things that, that just don't take place on a regular basis, because that seems to be what people want to read about. And and that's the kind of story that uh, has gotten me the greatest reaction is those kind of stories that don't take place all the time. But that story in particular, uh, again, you know, being the age difference, I was born that year. Yes. But, you know, reading hockey books and the history of hockey and, you know, let's be honest, in the in the era that, that we sort of grew up in, uh, fights and brawls happened all the time. But that one seemed to resonate for a lot of people, as you said. Uh, and I read about that as a kid. And yeah. just being, you know, again, with that incident happening in Ottawa, it, you know, it was it was part of the hockey uh, culture or not the culture, but the 
the history of hockey in Ottawa, uh, you know, it was brought up, you know, multiple times growing up that you would read the articles or hear talk, people talk about that that incident. And subsequently, when there was a, you know, a, a, a vicious incident or a bad incident, that incident was brought up a lot. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, talking about the history and just just the action itself. Um, and as you said, it did scar both individuals and 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 it was very sad that uh, Wayne Mackey passed uh, at an early age. But uh, but yeah, it's but that's the other thing I, I find, too, even doing, you know, our show. And and when we talk about subject matter, we try to keep it, you know, upbeat and uh, light and and, you know, have fun with it. But there is a dark side to sports where there are these incidents that happen that uh, what what do we always love to see? We always, you know, why do people love uh, auto racing? Because they want to see the crash <laughs> just as much as they want to see a great race or, or a great pass. Or, you know, why do people go to hockey games? Well, it used to be they wanted to see a fight break out. So there are these, you know, there is this culture in sports that and in society were were people rightly or wrongly that's what they enjoy but that story in particular that was actually one of the early stories of my you know sports uh journey that i used to hear about all the time i can remember a group of us nine-year-olds eight-year-olds ten-year-old kids standing on the street in front of our houses because we all lived in the same on the same street and across the street from each other talking about that incident talking about that the day the day after it happened or the you know a couple of days after it happened we're standing there talking about it like we're we're, we're like we're sports pundits on on tv or something you know uh we're we're we're, we're little know nothing kids uh, but uh yeah it was a, it was a big deal in ottawa at the time well and the difference too if you th- think about that incident if that ever happened today we go back to uh the the more uh, Bertuzzi incident and that was now what fifteen years ago at uh, least maybe, yeah at least coming up to twenty years and just how it dominated uh, sports media uh, in that time could you imagine what you know sports media was around at this time of this incident uh, and again it wasn't like preseason games were televised really right no. so. Uh, it's a, it was a totally different time, but you think about that without social media and the power it had for, for all those years after that, you know, it's pretty incredible. It's true. And and you talked about the uh, Bertuzzi uh, Moore thing. Remember the McSorley Brashear thing? Yes. Yeah. And those happened like, you know, very close together in terms of timelines. Yes. Yeah. And again, people would always refer back to this Mackie Green. Yeah. Uh, you know, incident. So yeah, it, it has dominated, uh, you know, the hockey, you know, the bad side of, of hockey culture, the hockey world. If from that, from that standpoint, this is one of the, the incidents everybody seems to, to bring back and bring up. So I think that uh, there are, I think there's, there's something relatable about it though, because everybody can snap at, at, at a moment. And, right. and, and I think we've all had moments in our times playing sports where we just got really, really angry, really fast. 
Yes. And, uh, and I think, I think in that part of it, I think it's relatable. Absolutely. Well, and you know, again, the hockey culture was so different, uh, but we've, you know, we've talked, we've had many shows on the 72 summit series and, and you know, how everybody on the Canadian team treated it like it was a war. Yeah. Uh, you know, and they would do anything to win that series. And some of them did, some of them snapped. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, that rightly or wrongly, uh, some people were held accountable for that. Other people were applauded for what they did. So you're right. It's, uh, it's the heat of the moment. It's the heat of the battle. And back then a lot of this was hidden. Because yeah. you couldn't see it. Well, yeah. You know, now it's always on display. Well, we didn't live in a 24-7 sports no. news cycle universe at the time. Absolutely. And that's what I love about this book, too. Because some of the stories, you know, people, unless you were there, or as you say, you know, kids after the next day talk about it. Hey, did you hear? Did you see? You know, I heard somebody snapped or whatever uh, the next day. You wouldn't know. Or you wouldn't. You know, you wouldn't wouldn't have been able to see it for at least twenty four to forty eight hours later. So yeah. Uh, again, we're talking about crazy days and wild nights. Howie Mooney is the author, and uh, we're delving in uh, to this wonderful book that you can get on Amazon right now, and uh, in Kindle or paperback form. And uh, so happy that we can uh, talk uh, and just sort of go over this great book. Now, the stories range for about six decades. So what would be the earliest story that you delved into, Howie, and why did it captivate you to start there? Well, first, what I did in the book was I tried to arrange the chapters chronologically. So the first chapter is the earliest story. And that is a story about a Dodgers-Giants game in 1965, there was a pennant race. The Dodgers were, I think, two and a half games ahead of the of the Giants going into the fourth game of this four-game series on a Sunday afternoon. Juan Marichal against Sandy Koufax. And the Giants needed to win this game. They needed to win this game. It was, I think it was August. And, you know, the season season's winding down, basically. And they, they need to make up ground. And they don't want to lose any ground to the Dodgers. And they hate the Dodgers. And the Dodgers hate them. And... First inning, it's at Candlestick Park. So the Dodgers are batting first. And uh, first inning, Maury Wills is up and Marichal dusts him, throws at his head. And Johnny Roseboro is the catcher and he doesn't like it. And so he, you know, a couple of innings later, he says, I want Marichal's coming up the next inning. I want you to throw at him. And Koufax says, I don't feel comfortable throwing at, at uh, anybody. And Roseboro says, no worries. I'll take care of it. Throw me a curveball, low and in, and I'll look after it. So uh, Marischal's standing there at the plate. He's got his bat in his hand, and Koufax throws, uh, you know, a breaking ball, low and in. Uh, Roseboro has to kind of move over uh, in behind Marischal to play the ball and, and block it. And he does, and he picks it up, and he throws it back to Colfax. But in doing so, he may have just grazed Marischal's ear. And Marischal turned around and said, did you, did you hit my ear with the ball? And Roseboro stepped forward thinking that Marischal was going to hit him. And so, you know, he kind of 
moved in a in a menacing manner toward Marischal. Marischal took his bat and hit Roseborough over the head with it. And from that point, just wild brawl starts. Bra- just massive. And it's it's just it's totally out of control. Willie Mays is in the in the dugout, in the Giants dugout. Roseboro is his friend. And he says, if I don't do something about this, it's it's never going to end. So he goes out and he grabs Roseboro and pulls him out of the pile. And he looks at Johnny and he says, Rosie, your eye is out. And Roseboro says, what? May says, your eye is out. And he puts his hand over Roseboro's eye to kind of push it back in. And blood is floating all over the place. And he gets Roseboro out of there. And I think one of the, I can't remember if it was Tito Fuentes or somebody else said, if Willie Mays didn't do that, if he didn't pull Roseboro out of that pile, we'd still be fighting today. And uh, it's just, that's the first story. And that's what leads off the book. And and uh, it's just, uh, an, to me, it was an incredible, incredible thing. An incredible, wild, wild story. Well, it's one of the most intense rivalries in sports history. Yes. The Giants versus the Dodgers, whether they were in New York or out in California, it was always intense. It still is to this day, maybe not to the extent as it was back then in the mid 60s, but uh, there's still a hatred between the fan bases. Well, didn't somebody, didn't a a Dodger fan get killed at Candlestick or vice versa at one of the games in the last 10 years? Yes. No, it's 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 a it's it's been a very heated rivalry uh, that still exists. Where some sadly have petered out, this one I don't believe ever will. Uh, there's just that that connection that you know it started in New York, and then when they came in the '60s to California, it, it got just as intense, if not more intense, as you pointed out in this incredible brawl that yeah. took place and uh to think you know two hall of fame pick pitchers on the mound that day as well and uh you know everything was on the line for yeah. both teams but that's the epitome of this book that you always bring this out you know in terms of uh this yearning this passion uh of sport and competition and it's great well i appreciate your kind words shawnee i, I i'm like I say, the whole, the whole process, this whole process, I'm still processing it all. Well, you'll be processing it more because we are going to continue <laughs> talking about Crazy Days and Wild Nights, a collection of incredible true stories from the pages of sports history. You are listening to the Sports Lunatics on the Fired Up Network. So, Howie, we just talked about a rivalry in baseball that uh, became incredibly heated But we always talk about hockey rivalries on this show. And again, you are the number one bestseller in hockey on Amazon Canada. So we are very excited. Uh, Tell us about uh, a hockey rivalry that sort of uh, impacted you. I've got a buddy that that I grew up with. He lived across the street from me and he was an Islander fan. For whatever reason, he was an Islander fan. And... I started writing the story about the Rangers um, and Islanders. I call it their coexistence because it wasn't, yes, it's a rivalry, but I I also consider it a coexistence. And there's a story 
uh, a long time ago about, uh, or it wasn't that, that long ago, but Islanders attendance was starting to wane and they wanted to, to build it up. And so around Christmas time, they said, anybody that wears a complete Santa costume will get into a game free. <laughs> and so <laughs> they expected, a, I don't know how many they expected, but they got a lot more than they expected. I think there were several hundred that showed up in full Santa costumes. <laughs> and at the first intermission, they were going to parade all the Santas on the ice and they'd wave at the fans and it would, you know, it's, it's a feel good thing. Well, don't you know that a couple of Ranger fans infiltrated the Santas and tore off their Santa costume to reveal Ranger jerseys. <laughs> and, you know, you got Santas beating up other Santas on the ice. Oh my and, God. And it's just, but the, the, there's another part of it. I, there's like four little stories in that, in that, uh, in that one story. There's, there's one about, a game that the Rangers were playing in on the Island. And after the morning skate, Nick Fotiu was walking. He's a Ranger player. He was walking from the dressing room to, I guess where the bus was and they were going to go back to their hotel. But on the way he saw, you know, those boards that they put on the net at the intermission so that people can shoot a puck at, at a hole and maybe win a car or something like that. Absolutely. Well, Fotiu looked around and didn't see anybody. And so he went back to the to the dressing room and got a, one of those hacksaws that the guys used to doctor their sticks with. And he cut the hole in that board so that it was like 12 inches wide instead of like the width of a puck. Oh my god. And that night the Ranger or the Islanders had to give away two cars. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> that made me laugh. But that's that's you know it's not all blood and gore in the book. You know, stories like that as well. That's crazy. You know, I, and I've told this story many times, you know, that rivalry, again, that is one that still resonates today. Well, I wrote that story. I wrote that whole thing with my buddy across the street, John Hughes in mind. And I and I said it to him. I said, here, read this and tell me if you like it before I, before I sent it over to, to Joe at the Fired Up Network. And he sent me an email back and he says, I love this story. It's so wonderful. He says, I didn't know about the Nick Fotiu thing. <laughs> and, uh, well, you uh, think about that, like, like that is a staple uh, with, oh, yeah. with, especially in junior hockey and well, every level of hockey, uh, you know, and it's difficult. We always say, you know, it's amazing when somebody actually does fit a puck into, into that little hole. Yeah. But the fact that nobody actually picked up on that, <laughs> yeah. that there's suddenly the size of a couple of pucks that they yeah. had a chance, that's hilarious in itself as well. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I just love that rivalry and I just love those intricate stories that, you know, I, I've been blessed because we used to have Dennis Pod fan Mike Bossy tell yeah. stories all the time of just being a player in that rivalry uh, from the Islanders perspective. And, and uh, you know, they still chant pot van sucks well, to this day. The story of the pot van sucks chant from basically it's, it's um, conception to today is, is in that part too. Yeah. Like it's, 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 it, it's just a staple of that rivalry. Yeah. And uh you know, we were very lucky to see a the Islanders dynasty number one, uh, but 
just at that time because the Rangers had a lot of great, great players on that team. Yeah. As well, uh, going to the Stanley Cup final in 1979, losing to your beloved Habs. Yes. Uh, at that time. So, no, it's, it, that's, that's a wonderful story. And uh, you'll see many of those stories in Howie's new book, Crazy Days and Wild Nights, a collection of incredible true stories from the pages of sports history. Now, we talk sort of, sort of the gloomy, ominous, uh, you know, bad stuff, you know, tell us a feel good story that really resonated with you. 1974 NHL draft. The NHL is being just completely pestered by the WHA. And so they tried to hold their draft in secret. And what they did was instead of doing it in a group, you know, in a, in a hotel lobby, like they used to do it in Montreal, they did it over the phone and there were no conference calls. There were no, there was no internet back then. So the way they had to do it was Clarence Campbell had to call each team and he had to apprise them of all of the picks that have taken place since their last pick. And it took forever. And they did the, the, back then the draft went as long as the teams wanted to keep picking players. So it went 25 rounds of Clarence Campbell calling teams and saying, okay, since your last pick, <laughs> these are the players who were chosen. And he'd name every player. Oh my God. And Pudge Imlach was the GM of the, of the of Buffalo Sabres at the time. And, and uh, his, his uh, communications man and his first name escapes me now. And I'm blanking on it because this is what happens when you get old, but his last name was Wheeland. And, uh, Wheeland would uh, would make suggestions to Punch and egg him on and do things. And Punch would say, you know, either that's stupid or, yeah, I mean, we can talk about that. So they were getting bored after. And, and Punch Imlach was never a guy who thought that any player after the 10th round was going to make it anywhere anyway. So I think he said to, to Wheeland something like, what if we picked a player that nobody would ever even think of drafting? And then Wheeland came back with, what if we picked a player that doesn't even exist? <laughs> And so they started talking about it because they had a lot of time between their picks. And when Wheeland went to uh, St. Bonaventure, because he, he was a Buffalo guy, when he went to St. Bonaventure University back in the day, he would pass, you know, it's through the country and he would pass by these farms. And one of the farms he would pass by had a stand in front that sold, you know, their, their uh, you know, their vegetables. And it, and the farm was the, the Tsujimoto farm. And so Wheeland had a name for his non-existent player. It was going to be Tsujimoto. And then they had to figure out, you know, the, the things that are going through these guys' heads because they're bored. They had to figure out, okay, what's the first name going to be? So Punch Imlac calls the Tsujimoto family. And in the process of writing this story, I, I contacted the grandson of Mr. Tsujimoto, Ben Tsujimoto. And he's a writer for the Buffalo News, I believe, now. <sighs> And so Punch Imlac calls Mr. Sujimoto and he says, you know, Mr. Sujimoto is puzzled by why is Punch Imlac calling me? <laughs> and he, you know, so Punch Imlac asks him, okay, what's a, uh, what's a good boy's name for, for a, a Japanese child? And Mr. Sujimoto says, I don't know, Taro. He says, okay, Taro. Okay. 
what what do you think a good team name would be for a hockey team in, in Japan? And he's, I don't know, the Katanas. So Punch Imlac and Wheeland had their their uh, their their draftee. It was going to be Taro Tsujimoto from the Tokyo Katanas of the <laughs> Japanese Hockey League. And back then, at that time, teams were starting to scout outside of Canada and outside of North America. Right. So the notion that they could be scouting in Japan. You know, it, it wasn't necessarily outlandish. It was a bit odd, but it wasn't necessarily outlandish. And so they also relished at the thought of Clarence Campbell calling every team and having to spell Tsujimoto out for each of them, you know, the next time he called each team. And, you know, so that's, you know, the, the Buffalo Sabres drafting Taro Tsujimoto of the Tokyo Katanas. And nobody thought to do any research to see, you know, okay, the Japanese Hockey League, it does exist. Okay. And it's been existing for a long time. Is there a team in Tokyo? No, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> Nobody did their homework. <laughs> Nobody did their homework. That is epic. And so, you know, in the in the uh, NHL guide for a long time, you saw that, you know, they, how they have their draftees every year. Sure. You had the name Taro, Taro Tsujimoto there. When Clarence Campbell found out that the whole thing was, was a, a joke, he was incensed. He was livid. And now, if you look at the the uh, the new base or the new hockey encyclopedias, they don't include Taro's name anymore because T- Clarence Campbell had it removed, <laughs> forcibly removed from from all records. But that's that's another story that's in the book, and uh, and uh, so you know it's not all it's not all death and blood and gore. It's there's some some fun stuff in there too. That's incredible. I had never heard that story in my life. Really? Uh, no. Wow. No, that's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> now we've heard of teams drafting deceased players. Yeah. Yeah. Inadvertently. Yeah. And I inadvertently, talk- they yeah. didn't realize that they were deceased and they were late round picks and, and what have you. Uh, but uh I have never heard a uh, made-up name like that. that <laughs> that's that's wild. And, and those are the type of stories that you cover in Crazy Days and Wild Nights. Like yeah. I, where do you find? Like where do you find the inspiration for this? Like 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 is it through? You know, I know you're a heavy reader, and you, you know you're you're you you scour uh, websites now, but you used to read lots of newspapers growing up and what have you and 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 that but well sometimes i'll i'll be listening to the radio and i'll hear somebody mention something in passing and i'll think that's interesting yeah i'll look it up and and people have asked me that question before like where does your mind go and i I say you don't want to know but uh you know i'll start off with wikipedia and and find out from wikipedia what the story is and then you look at the bottom of, of every wikipedia article there's a whole bunch of little references and when you go into those references, you can find old newspaper articles. And a lot of times those articles are where the gold is. And that's what I do. And I, I, I'll spend hours going through those stupid references and, and finding out all the little gold. One thing I'm finding more and more as I get older, and I am going back online because you can find, as you said, you can pretty much find anything now online. Um yeah. You know, I I love going back and seeing what the front pages of a newspaper was for a significant event, whether it's sports related or not, just to see how it was covered uh, way back when and 
you know, I've seen YouTube videos and they, they have videos on that stuff as yeah. well. And, and it is wild to, to go back in, in history, you know, something that you might remember. And then there's a lot that you don't exactly. because, yes, exactly. because it's a perspective that again, we, we grew up in the Ottawa area or, you know, Toronto area, uh, most of our lives. So, um, you know, we have that perspective, but it's interesting to see perspectives from across North America or really around the world, depending on the event, uh, to see how they covered it. I, I'm always fascinated by that. One of the uh, services that I subscribe to online is uh, called newspapers.com. And I can pretty much find any story about anything through that. When I was, I, I wrote a story at the end of 2022 about the Duck Koo Kim uh, Boom Boom Mancini fight. Watched it. And uh, that, oh, you can find it. You can find the fight. It's still on, it's online on, oh, on yeah. YouTube. Yeah, and, but I, wa- I watched it that, that yeah, day. It yeah. was a Saturday afternoon. That, that, yeah. like, people think, people think, oh, uh, you know, Boom Boom Mancini's career after that was never the same because people thought that he just booked a, a, a patsy. But Duck Koo Kim was not a patsy. No. And, and that fight, that fight was just incredible. You had two guys who refused to give up. And uh, it's, it's not in the book, but you know, you can go, you can go and find it on, on uh, the fired up network, but uh, you know, you had two guys that just refused to give up and refused to quit. And they just went at each other. And back then the fights were 15 rounds and they went into the 14th, both of them bloodied, both of them, their faces swollen into, into, just unrecognizable pulps, but they kept going and they kept going and they kept going. And finally in the 14th round, Mancini knocked out Kim, but what nobody saw right away in the melee that, you know, how boxing matches end and everybody jumps into the ring and all this yeah. stuff. And yeah, Duck Koo Kim is, is, is uh, on, on the mat and he's, he's unconscious or, or barely semi-conscious. And they, they sit him back up on the stool and he hunches back over and they, they get him out of there in an ambulance. And nobody really saw that. And uh, until later, and, and if you watch that, that YouTube uh, edition of the fight, they mention it after they go to commercial and come back after they've interviewed, uh, you know, Ray Mancini and, and his family and everything else. And, and the melee that, that, that ensues in the, in the ring, uh, then we find out that they took uh, Duku Kim to the hospital and everybody's hoping, you know, everything's going to be okay, but then it wasn't okay. And, you know, a couple of months later, his mother, Duku Kim's mother committed suicide. Uh, he had a fiance in, in Korea who was pregnant at the time. And, and uh, in, in the story, I talk about Mancini and the guilt that he felt after the fight and how he eventually went and met with, Kim's widow and and their son and uh it's um it's really touching uh the, their meeting they had uh where Mancini meets with the boy who's now a man he's a doctor and yes. uh and uh he, he told Ray he says you know if you feel guilt if you feel if you feel remorse for what happened don't it was just something that happened and uh yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's it's thinking about it now. I'm I, I'm breaking up about it. But. Well, it was such. I remember watching that fight because Mancini's fights were always on CBS. It felt because they were they had yeah, a boxing yeah, deal. Yeah, 
And, uh, and that was a huge fight. Like that was, you know, he was, he was on this mediocre or mediocre. Uh, he was on this huge rise. Yes, like they was. were pumping him hard. Yes. And, and he was, it just felt like he was always on television, all his fights. Yeah. And to watch that fight and to see, uh, you know, as you said, it, it was an incredible battle. It was. And, you know, no one thought Kim would be that good uh, against Mancini. Right. And he gave him everything he could. Like, he just didn't quit. He just was like uh, a buzzsaw. Well, in the story, I talk about exactly what you were talking about. I talk about Mancini's rise up the ranks of of boxing. But I also then went over and talked about Kim and and, and the, the road that he went on to get to that fight because right. it was a, it was a world uh, championship yes fight and uh at that time we were just starting to really take notice of the lower levels of boxing not yes. the, not just the heavyweights right and yeah you're right cbs was pumping ray mancini hard oh pumping him hard like every fight of his seemed to be on tv for at least at least a year or maybe even more cuz yeah. it just felt like every saturday afternoon once a month or every couple of months he was on. And uh, yeah, it was such a tragic story. Yeah. I remember following it that week in the newspapers and that he was in a coma. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was, it was devastating. And, and it did, it, it, it did sort of change boxing from the standpoint of, as you said, the 15 rounds, like, they had to start taking a look at that. Yes. Because at that time, you know, Kim Kim's death, you know, there were other incidents as well with other boxers who collapsed after fights and what have you and yeah. uh over over the years and they had to make some changes that way. Well, because um, of that fight, uh the association started shortening their fights to twelve rounds. Right. And yeah, no, it changed boxing. Mancini's yeah. career was never the same after that. No. He 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 no. uh, he suffered severe P- PTSD because of that. Yeah, and CBS had to get out of boxing because people were yeah. were. It was like the uh, the villagers had their pitchforks and their torches out after CBS. Yeah, yeah. Uh, after that. Yeah, which rightly or wrongly at the time, I I was a huge boxing fan when I was growing up. I loved watching fights. Mm, yeah. You know, and I, I always tune into the fights on Saturday afternoon. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it was a crazy period, and uh, uh, and again, you captured it incredibly well as you always do. And that is the perfect way to end this edition of the Sports Lunatics as we go through. Howie Mooney's crazy days and wild nights—a collection of incredible true stories from the pages of sports history. Again, you can find it on Amazon in Kindle or paperback. It's a must read. And I'm not saying it because I'm his friend. (laughs) Uh, I am just so incredibly proud of you, my friend, uh, for all the effort uh, that you have done to put into this book. And I am so happy to see your success. Uh, It is uh, much deserved. One other shout out I'm going to make because you made it this week and we're we're great friends. Uh, The forward was done by Mike Ross, who, of course, is the PA voice of uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs, 
uh, broadcaster here in Canada. And now he is the new Telly Savalas of uh, <laughs> Canadian television. Uh, but uh, a quick shout out for Rossi. That's um, one of my favorite parts of the book, that forward, yeah. the story that he told about a night 25 years ago in Ottawa. Uh, it's it's uh, it's a wonderful story. And when he sent that to me, when uh, he sent it to me in an email and I was reading it, I had a, a smile on my face and a tear in my eye when he took, he took me back 25 years in a heartbeat. Wonderful. So, Rossi, thank you for that as well. And uh, I uh, I know we certainly miss him. Uh, I certainly do. Worked with him for many years and uh, one of the great joys of my career. So uh, again, Howie, uh, thank you very much. You've been listening to the Sports Lunatics. I'm Sean Levy in Halifax, Nova Scotia. I'm Howie Mooney in Barrie, Ontario. And Shawnee, thank you. You're very welcome, buddy. Very proud of you. And you've been listening to the Sports Lunatics on the Fired Up Network. Have a great sports day.